Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We're gonna we're gonna start with that. So, all oh, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I won't say it now. We're good to go. Yeah, just yeah. Just go. Okay. Okay. Whenever you're ready, man. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, Nico, you're rich and famous. <laughs> I'm not rich. I would say famous. <laughs> no, he's famous. He gets people asking him for autographs. That's true. Um, you were hanging out with Ronald Genio the weekend. <laughs> Wasn't hanging out with him, but I actually got to shake his hand. So that's, we went to the Game of Champions, it's a charity game that he does around the world and at this point I'm quite sure it's his only income he has at this point in his career. Yo, I, I'm really amazed that he, he was uh, um, allowed to travel because apparently he doesn't have a passport now. Yeah, but like, that was the only thing, he, like he didn't do it in an interview in the entire weekend, he said one sentence and that was basically, yeah, the reports are a lie, I'm not broke. Uh, Okay, yeah, that's all he did. So I still have my passport. I still have my passport. Which look, he traveled from Brazil to Frankfurt, so he. Yeah. I guess even Ronaldinho needs a passport for that. But my main target for this entire weekend, even though I got to interview a few great players, I just wanted to shake Ronaldinho's hand, and I managed managed it like right after the the final whistle. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you run onto the pitch? I didn't. I was waiting at the entrance to the tunnel, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not gonna lie. I am a journalist somehow, but I didn't look like a journalist in that second. That was the biggest mm. fanboy you can imagine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I shook his hand. He even looked me in the eye for a second. Wow. Whoa. 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 And were you hanging out with uh, KP as well? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Prince Boateng was there. KP? Oh, right. Not Kevin Peterson. Yeah. Oh, right. Not Kevin a big hero Peterson, for no. me as a Frankfurt <laughs> fan. Um, but to be very honest here, he doesn't seem like the greatest of all guys. I, I know it's, it's from vetting. He's got to be a nice guy. <laughs> Kevin is it's tough. Kevin's my favorite of all the brothers. Is, yeah, he's my, yeah. No, it's not even a question. But <laughs> okay. it's not even close. <laughs> okay, let's crack on with the podcast then. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Alex Mott. Hello, Andre Gonzalez. Hi, and Nico Hamer. Hey. Keep all those questions coming in. We'll get to a few of those later. The address for that is podcast at onefootball.com. Now, as I look around this studio here. I see a lot of sad, very somber, very disappointed faces, and I know why it is. The international break is over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Nations League is over. Yeah. Well, what have you guys made of the competition so far? Because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, for real? Yeah, I actually think it's a good competition. I agree. I think it's brilliant. It's completely revitalised international football. Yeah, it did that, but just to a certain level, I still don't enjoy the international breaks. But it, it's better than like all these pointless friendlies or the starting qualification. Yeah. Did I, it, I think it might be really connected to the fact that you do enjoy international football. Uh, well, I, I enjoy it more now the Nations League is around. Okay, and you? Yeah. Well, I'm an Ireland fan, so I don't enjoy anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's, but it was really good. Like teams of a similar level playing against each other, mm. sort of getting a rivalry with teams in your group, home and away. Just the atmosphere in. I watched the France game against Netherlands, and then I watched their game against Uruguay. And the difference in those two games, you know, one was a Nations League game, one was a friendly, was just incredible. You'd never was, tell that your girlfriend lives in a different country. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was. Um, yeah, it was great. I think it's brilliant. It's been brilliant. I, I, I feel this is great for the big nations. Yeah. But it's bloody awful for the lower uh, tier nations. But they're like playing Germany. against teams. Like Germany. Yeah. Right. But they're playing <laughs> against teams of a similar level. Surely it's better for them. To no, it's not. Because you wanna, if you want to 
bring football to a nation like uh, Luxembourg, you need big names to get people into the stadiums. So you're not going to uh, create a, any buzz around football if you're going to play uh, San Marino in Andorra. But isn't the idea that they win games and then the more they win... They it get doesn't promoted, matter. And then you eventually, know, for, a, start for someone from Luxembourg, if you beat Andorra, you get excited for five minutes, and after that, it's gone. No, but, the, the, but if you play Germany, or if you, or if you play Portugal or England, it's a big thing. But we've been—they've been doing that for twenty years. You know, big teams have been playing Andorra, San Marino, and qualifying, and it hasn't got them anywhere. But, so but you, you feel like Luxembourg, like the football in Luxembourg, is going to be better because they're beating Andorra. No, but at least yeah. they have a chance of yeah, actually winning. going somewhere yeah. rather than get tonked ten 0 every yeah. time. But where are they going? Where are they going? Well, there's promotion and yeah, relegation, yeah, yeah. which they're is a brilliant yeah, idea. Look, they yeah, go, they're going up a league and then they get beaten up again and go down. Yeah, this is this it's is not like, like they're going well, like, no, to evolve to become no, a progressive. This is, this is not like like uh, football with club, like club football. It, it's not the same thing. You're not Luxembourg. You go up and you buy another four players, and now you're going to fight to avoid relegation, or you're going to just go uh, and try to get up to the B League or whatever. It, does, it doesn't work that way, because you're going to get the same players every single time. Actually, so. if you think about it, it does the opposite thing, because if you want to get better, you got to play better teams, right? you got to... Yeah, you got to play tougher competition. Because well, that's not necessarily like, true. Well, no, yeah. Luxembourg is a horrible team, and if they beat Andorra, then that doesn't make them a better team, that just makes Andorra worse. But someone yeah. like Finland now, who finished top of their League C group, could now play Germany next time, since they've been relegated. So isn't that... Good? In your logic, isn't that a good thing? I mean... But that, that, that was happening before... Like, yeah, but, so but they've had a chance to now win games, which means they could get some sort well, of. And there's a sense, there's a sense is, of progress. Is that going to be better? They, they're going to they get relegated. They're going to beat worse teams. Is that better for them? Is well, it? yeah, I think it is in the long Why? run. Why? Why is that better? Because there's a sense of progress that they yeah. can actually beat teams rather than get hockeyed every week. Yeah, is that good? Yeah, winning is good. Yeah. Winning against bad teams yeah, is good. I don't get. I don't. I, do, really, yeah, I don't get, I don't it. get it. Well, you can only beat who's in front yeah, of you. Win, so but winning is winning. It's winning is we're winning. We're talking about evolution. This is not evolution. This is exactly the opposite. Absolutely. You, it's a, the, the 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 basically it's the richest getting richer, the poorest getting poorer. Exactly. That's that's the main idea of the whole thing. I, and it's uh, blood. I completely really, disagree. No, I, <laughs> I see it from such a different angle. <laughs> the final four uh, for for the the league A yeah. is going to be excited. You have four big teams playing to get I don't know some. Fancy trophy. Yeah, but the top of of League D, C, and B got now going to playoffs for Euro twenty twenty. So isn't that a good thing? It's it's not direct. Yeah, access. it is. The it, top the top of the groups go into a playoff to, for Euro twenty twenty. Okay, yeah. so, so Scotland a bit have been promoted, and now they're going to play in a playoff against Serbia or whoever when the draw is announced. So there is a sense of progress, not just in the Nations League, but for Euro twenty twenty as well. So, yeah. but with the normal draw they're gonna have in December, and yeah. they can still do the normal uh, qualifying stage and get. Yeah, to the Euros. Still, that, yeah, that's it's, like it's a fallback. Like, it's yeah, like yeah, sixty yeah. teams going to the Euros now. It's really hard to <laughs> miss the Euros. Well, yeah, yeah, but well, I guess we'll agree to disagree, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. <laughs> there was a there was a debate in my friend's WhatsApp group yesterday after the sacking of O'Neill and Keane, and we were wondering what level um, international football is at these days. Right. I suggested it's probably a championship level. I think the take the England Croatia game, that was probably a. I would say that was a, on a level with like 
top six Premier League. It wasn't like Champions League. Yeah, it was a Premier League game, but just gen- right. generally, international football is probably lower. When Premier you aver- when you average it all out over Europe, yeah, yeah, because the bad teams are can be bad. Yeah, um, and then but, if- then, but then. Just because they're bad teams, it doesn't make it bad games. Like Scotland-Israel on Tuesday was a really good game. And a nice little touch by the Israeli players. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, Another friend then asked if um, Sheffield United could win the World Cup if it's championship. Level. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a great question. Billy Sharp is on form. Billy Sharp is on form. And they are three points off the top of the league, <laughs> yeah. so you never know. Yeah. Anyway, um, Nico, four wins. Three draws, six defeats in 2018 for Germany. Yeah. Are you feeling positive? About the worst year in the history of German football? Mm. <laughs> it was. But no, I mean, in terms of this international break, you had the win over, yeah. you had the win over Russia so, and a very decent performance against the Netherlands. So sort of mixed emotions. Yeah, there is some light at the, at the end of the tunnel. But like, just to recap the re- that really quick, it was the worst year for German football. It's just a fact. And, like, you just said four wins. Those wins were like Russia, Peru, Peru yeah. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and what was the last team? Like, it wasn't better. Actually, where they wrote it down. Sweden. Sweden, yeah, in the World Cup, yeah, yeah, the actual game they won. So um, all the big teams, yeah, all all the great teams, and like Germany played Brazil, Spain, France twice, Netherlands twice. So there were opportunities to big uh, win against big teams, didn't do it. But like you said, yeah, there was a glimpse uh, in, the, in the last international break. Um, Yogi Löw, the German national coach, finally started trusting younger players, but he had to, and I'm pretty sure he would have been sacked. He wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that by now. So it was oh, his you, last, very you, last call. You think that was a directive from above? No, <laughs> no, no. Nobody in the in the DFB is able to to say anything to Yugoslav because mm-hmm. apparently he is the highest the highest ranked official by now. <laughs> um, no, uh, actually, think it was the pressure of the of the the uh, public mm. to, of everybody because everybody was saying for months now. Look, you can stop playing Thomas Müller on the right wing, would you? Please stop. <laughs> and so he finally did it. He brought in Leroy Sané. He brought in Serge Gnabry. He played Timo Werner. And woof, surprise, with mm. like fast players and fast-paced football, a fast, quick-playing idea, um, it actually worked out better. I thought that was a very wow. interesting front three. I, I enjoyed watching them play. I watched the, the Netherlands game. Yeah, I saw them the first time together uh, in, the, in the France game, um, and they really looked good. Um, like, good in the standards that we have now in German football, because those standards went down mm-hmm. quite a bit. But yeah, I enjoy it. And I think the crazy part is that Serge Gnabry, before that France game, he wasn't in the squad. Boateng was injured, and then he, he called him up just as a backup. And I think he is now the most important player in the, in the German offense because he's the most versatile. He, mm-hmm. Playing as a striker, then he goes out to the left wing, to the right wing. Mm-hmm. These, three, these three rotate quite a bit and mm-hmm. I liked him, yeah. Reminded me of that Manchester United lineup when they had uh, Rooney, Ronaldo and Tevez and they sort of mixed the front three, which yeah, was always I, lovely to exactly. see. Exactly. Um, because they don't play like a classic front three with like two wingers, but rather more, more in the middle of all three of them. And uh, they rotate Why, why is German football struggling so much to find, you know, pop, proper number nines? Yeah, Vern is not so, a finisher. No, all. he's not. Well, well, his goal was decent. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a good finisher, it. but he needs the game. Ahead. Like he needs to come with speed on the defense, and that's not what the German football was in ages in, in years. Well, it all comes down. And this is a longer story now. 
Euro 2004. Um, we had a classic, classic number nine, Karsten Janka. Yeah, um, super classic. <laughs> and we and uh, after that crash in the Euros, we realized, well, we need to change our style of football. And then basically, um, this new youth system all over Germany got installed. And um, technically, good players, fast players, good passers. Nobody was looking for a number nine anymore because. The system wasn't looking for that, that the German football team tried to play. So this, this is what we get from that. Um, now there is no number nine. Okay, speaking of Leroy Sané, the Ralf Honigstein had a, an interesting tweet the other day saying the German FA said he was left out of the World Cup squad for, quote, internal reasons. In yeah. other words, nothing to do with footballing ability. Can you expand upon that at all? There is not too much to say about that. There was uh, Mr. Koch who said that. Um, shout out to him. He's... <laughs> Don't want to say too much about him. I mean, <laughs> okay, don't get me started. So he just said that. Nobody actually asked. He just said it. And Yogi Löw said in a press conference after the Netherlands game, it was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Oh. Like, thing though is, there must have been reasons. Um, and Yogi, and he also said, Koch also said, um, where the reasons were internal and they're staying internal. So we don't know anything. The only thing I can think of is, Yogi Löw doesn't necessarily like players that speak their mind. They know he doesn't like players that are too flashy, that know they are good. Like his favorite player is basically not having a mind. Like he's just he's a robot, football robot. And um, Leroy Zane missed the Comfort Cup a year ago. Um, and there were rumors, or actually it's a fact that he was, he was being called up. And then he called Yogi Löw and said, look, um, I think I need, a, need an operation on my nose because I can't breathe properly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Yogi Löw took that quite personal. It was like, if you think that you needed that operation rather than go to a national team, um, it's fine, or it's up to you. And I honestly do think that this might still be the play a role in that, in that World Cup thing. Oh, it would petty. be so much easier if they make it public and explain what, what, what the hell happened than just creating this doubt. It's going to be permanent over, it's like a shadow over uh, yeah. Sané every mm. single time. If he doesn't perform, people are going to say, yeah, yeah, you know, he has some problems with the death. Mm. It's, yeah. just, just talk about it. It's, it's not a big deal. Unless yeah. it's not that, and it's a much bigger deal than that. Like what? Racism. Mm. Damn. Yeah. That would be. You, you said that like it, be not, they don't not like people that. who talked, who, who, who basically talk their yeah. mind. I don't know if Sané is one of those guys. Yeah, I think, is. I think he is. I think he is. He's quite outspoken by now. What's been the reaction to Germany's relegation to Group B? That is actually the worst part about it. Nobody cares. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually, it's rather the other way around. Nobody's sad about it. People just <laughs> look at them because mm. the national team lost contact to the fan base few years ago but since they were playing good nobody talked about it mm. and, uh, that was especially highlighted during the World Cup the, the feeling here yeah was, there was, was that, this, yeah. they lost touch they lost touch and now that they're not playing too good it's actually some there's this German word Schadenfreude I don't know if you know it <laughs> where you take joy of people failing and this is actually how most football fans look at the national team now just look at the stadiums they're never sold out yeah. Germany plays oh that was the other thing the atmosphere yeah. look, that was crazy right you could hear the players think it was, it was amazing yeah. Yeah. there's yeah. also a big beef between the fan football club fans uh, against the DFB oh, yeah. and it's well, been for years and years and I think you can see that on the national uh, national team as well yeah absolutely because the club fans have become more, more outspoken and they communicate their opinions more and more football fans listen to what they say and think about it and Come to, the, come to the conclusion, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. So they stopped supporting the national team and the DFB. And let's be honest here, the DFB is in a deep hole right now. Like, mm. they have some work to do in the next mm. few years. Okay. And, and of course, 
fans are used to watching a better standard of yeah, football absolutely. than international Plays football. Plays a role. Uh, did anybody notice anything special about the Dutch lineup the other night? Go on. They were all numbered 1 to 11. Ah, that's oh. nice. Isn't that nice? I like oh. it. Nice. Was it from like left back, foot, center? Yeah, back, no, center all back. in the proper positions. Ah, wow. I yeah. used to do that in football manager. Oh. <laughs> I know, my, my OCD got a real hit off that one. Um, elsewhere, it's all doom and gloom in Germany, but hey, over in England, sunshine is splitting the trees. Yes. All positivity. Yes. Two games, two decent wins. Yeah, two. Yeah, two very good results. The USA game, obviously, was just a friendly. Wayne Rooney's testimonial, basically. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was Callum Wilson played really well on debut. Um, good goal. Just sort of generally played very well, and I definitely think he's going to be Harry Kane's backup now for the foreseeable future. Wow. Lewis Dunk did really well as well at centre back. So yeah, it's sort of England have depth now, which they haven't had for a long time. Um, and then yeah, the Croatia game was just superb. Really, I think. It's the first time since Italia 90 that England have been losing and then won in 90 minutes. Nice. Um, so, wow. yeah, a long time. It's been a long, <laughs> been a long time coming. I think all the players said after the game that the atmosphere at Wembley was, yeah, unlike they've ever seen before. Um, and it just shows that Southgate is doing something right. They want to kick on from the World Cup. They're showing sort of mental resilience. Um, I thought Fabian Delft played really well. And That's the name I wanted to bring up because he, he bossed Luka Modric. Yeah, he was really, really good. Um, I thought Harry Kane, Sterling and Rashford. Rashford looked like a completely different player to what he does at Man United. I Getting wonder, on the ball. I wonder why. As well, yeah. Mm. And I also want to give a shout out to Ben Chilwell as well oh, yeah. at left back. He, yeah, he's 21, winning his third cap, I think, on Sunday. And he looks like he's been playing for England for 10 years. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like I said, stre- strength in depth. Um, and yeah, just generally very, very positive, which nobody's been about England since, yeah, God knows what. Ever. Yeah, ever, yeah. basically, yeah. I mean, the, the interest... Like squad. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody has said it by now, but it still reminds me of the 2006 Germany squad where it all like, kicked off that whole... Uh, well, yeah, nine of the starting 11 on Sunday were aged 25 or under. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was a big thing for me, when we were 1-0 down, normally an England manager would go for experience you know I don't know bring on the Beckham like in the old days or whatever <laughs> but he brought on Sancho who's 18 and sort of has trust in youth that they'll do something different um, which is a complete sea change to what it has been before so yeah things are looking very positive the best thing that about it for me is that it proved that the summer was no fluke either yeah actually and actually I think these last two international breaks the one in October the one in November have been better for England than the World Cup I think Everyone got a bit caught up in what happened over the summer. But actually, when you look at it, we didn't actually really beat anyone very good. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and the first good team we came up against, Croatia, we lost. Um, yeah, whereas these last two international breaks, beat Spain and we beat Croatia now. Um, and I think that will be bigger for the team going forward. And it proves that we can you know, do well against good teams, create chances. I think if there's one downside, it's the centre of our midfield. Um, I worry about Eric Dyer. Um, a lot of people worry about Eric Dyer. I don't think we've got a, a centre back. Yeah, I don't think we've got a defensive midfielder that's good enough at the moment, and I don't think Jordan Henderson is that player either. Uh, Fabian Delph is box to box, and he's very good, but yeah, we just need someone. We need Michael Carrick, basically, is what we need from 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, that would be a little bit of a worry, and I don't really see anyone in the Premier League at the moment that can fill that gap. 
Um, so, right. yeah, that'll be interesting going forward. But, yeah, very positive. And there's only two games away from another major trophy. Yeah, well, yeah. I know. It's, um, maybe I'm... We had our Nations League chat earlier on. Maybe I'm sort of biased because England are doing well in it. But, yeah, I, I th- yeah, I think you can tell that the players have intrinsically got that it's a competition and they're taking it seriously. Um, so, yeah, no, it's... And I think... Dare I say it, England might be favourites. Okay. Uh, Portugal, Andre, they're also one of the semi-finalists. Mm, they're they're organising the, the final four, actually. Oh, there you it's go. It's happen in uh, Porto and uh, Guimarães. And they did it without Ronaldo. Uh, yeah. Where is he? Why is he not playing? Taking some time off, I would say. Okay. And no one knows uh, the, the, the reason behind it. Um, even before you know, the, the whole scandal, um, he, he just asked not to be picked. Okay. Uh, he said that it would be a transitional period. He would need some time to adjust to the new reality, a new club, the new league, and um, he said that he would probably uh, be back in 2019. Yeah, he'll play next summer, won't he? So, but the thing is, the final the, comes around. What, yeah, I really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. what I really appreciated about the the, the Portuguese team was. Um, there, there was a lot of new players um, being called up by uh, Fernando Santos, which is something that he should have started like two years ago almost. The, the, the squad in the World Cup um, was old. Um, there were no ideas, no creativity. There was just one plan and, and that's it. But uh, in the Nations League, he tried something different. He changed a little bit the, the tactics as well. And, uh, and it, we proved again once again that we don't need uh, Cristiano to win games mm. and and we played well we were in a tough group against Poland and Italy it's not the old school Italy uh, we all know that but beating Italy it's always always tough and uh, and this Poland um, is uh, is probably the best Poland we had in the last 20 years or 30 even so um, it was tough, and the team responded quite well to to the, the challenge. Okay. What are the little tactical tweaks? Anything too interesting? Uh, we uh, were playing with uh, two deep-lying playmakers, which is something that I just love to see. We were playing with both William and Ruben Neves. Uh, Ruben Neves was, was not even on the squad it, yeah. to the World Cup. It's, yeah. it's just bloody insane if you think about it. Mm. Uh, but the way the team uh, plays these days, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Because you have two guys uh, that actually know how to start uh, the the attacking uh, yeah. uh, process, and, and they do it so well. I've been really impressed with um, Andre Silva as well. I think. He, yeah, it was always good. Yeah, but it didn't work out for him at Milan, but the, he's gone severe. It's, it's, it's really yeah, hard to to any to make a, a, anything to to work out in uh, in Milan these days. Yeah. We all know. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> So it was really weird to see. It was 20 when he moved to, to Milan. Um, it was a completely new challenge, a new league, a messed up club. Yeah, wrong and club. Suddenly time, they were it? expecting 50 goals per season from Andre yeah. Silva. He still scored, I think he scored 16 goals in a season, which everyone looks at him as like giant flop in Italy. But still, for the Not first bad. season, it wasn't that mm-hmm. bad. And now at Sevilla, is doing really, really well. Um, we got some questions from listeners. The brilliantly named Luke Betancourt. Mm. 
Nice. Betancourt, that's nice. a good, strong Bettencourt. surname, that, isn't it? That's nice. It's, it anything with court in the surname has got to be applauded, <laughs> is what I would say. Um, who do we think will win the next World Cup? That's quite oh. a question, isn't it? I, question. <laughs> I mean, England. there's so much that can change. With all, with years, all due respect, Mr. Betancourt. <laughs> We're going for England, are we? It's, it's so far away, I have okay. no idea. I think, I actually, I'll give a proper answer. I think France might create a bit of a... If you look at now. the amount of uh, talent... They have got so much depth. Yeah, it's, it's insane. If they so. kick on, I think actually losing or not qualifying in the Nations League might give them the jolt that they need. If they just waltz through, it might. Um, but yeah, they've sort of. Actually, if you look at the France team right now, they they should be better in four years yeah. than they were now. Yeah, they're going to be better for sure. <laughs> that is so <laughs> scary. I'd go with France, but. Isn't it like literally four years ago? Four years yesterday. Four years yesterday. And it's going to be in Qatar. Um, and it's going to be played in the middle of the season. There are a lot of different concepts. Yeah, <laughs> it's going a, to be a very weird That's an, That's another podcast altogether if we want to get into <laughs> that one. Uh, you might remember last week we asked you what was the best game you'd ever seen. Azriel Muller has chipped in with his ba- uh, on this debate and said Barcelona's 2-0 defeat over Real Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League semi-finals back in 2011. Anybody remember this game? Was that when Messi scored that crazy goal? Well, with the one where Busquets just lays it up to him and he runs through the defence yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. just slides it past Casillas. That, that is the very one. It's also the one where two Joses got sent off, Pinto and Mourinho. Pep got sent off. We have that Messi goal, of course. And... Um, the, but the most amazing thing about this game is that Adebayor played for Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shocking. I mean, his agent deserves a big raise. <laughs> came, on as, came on as a halftime sub for Ozil. At one stage in this match, Barcelona enjoyed 83% possession. Jesus. Wow. It was yeah. pretty common at the time. It was common yeah. at the time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did, did any of you want to nominate, one of you even want to nominate the best game you've ever seen? Best game I've ever seen. The best game I've probably been at live was, I'm going to say, England 3, Poland 0. And what? it was a qualifier for Euro 2000. I've possibly. already lost interest. Paul Scholes got, <laughs> Paul got a hat-trick and he was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Best, best individual performance I've ever seen. Okay. Well, uh, fun fact for you, uh, my birthday is the same day as uh, Paul Scholes. There you go. Just Google it. <laughs> oh, well, you can steal Andre Gondolfi's identity. Okay. Hey, we got really excited about this last week, and we're going to get even more excited this week. It's El Super Classico, Boca River, Saturday evening. Ty finally poised at 2 2 after the first leg. Dre, 1 to 10, how excited are you? I'm quite excited. Yeah. Um, uh, just remember one thing that away goals uh, don't count on, yes. on uh, South American um, uh, competitions so the game's in Argentina anyway so it's not really away <laughs> yeah. I mean it's even in the same city so. okay so in theory the 2-2 two, two for, for, in, uh, for River in, um, in, in La Boca would be um, would make them a bit more favourite to this game um, the fact that they're going to play at home definitely Make make some favorites to to this uh, particular game. Um, I, I remember that we talked about it like t- uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I don't remember. And uh, uh, Danny Cadena was here, and we both agreed on one thing: in one game, Boca would probably take this, but in two games, I think it's going to be River uh, lifting okay. the trophy. 
So you're already giving us your prediction. I was going to ask for that at the end. Oh, you're out. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so scrap this yeah. one. Just save it for last. There goes my last point. <laughs> anyway, so the big question for Baca is, of course, the fitness of Pavon. Is he's not he go- 100%, but he's going to be. He's going to be fit. Is he going to make it? Yeah, he's going to be fit Ooh. enough to, to play. And what does that mean for Carlos Tevez? And fans he's going to be benched. Fans so. of, yeah. fans of Carlos either. Tevez. He's, he's just going to be on the bench. He's not going to... This Tevez is not the same Tevez. He's really important in, uh, in the dressing room, for sure. Uh, but the things he has done on the pitch lately, is not. it's not the same one. Yeah, but he's it, quite unfit. It's quite unfit. He's been quite unfit for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, but he's still he's a, he's a legend. It's really important for everyone at the club to, to have that man in the dressing room. Okay. Um, what about River? How are their preparation shaping up for the game? Uh, I've I've read some stuff, and um, the 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 River fans are really confident, and that's probably not good for them. It might be too confident, in my opinion. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a very tricky game for them because the the pressure is all on their side. Um, they're going to play at home. It's going to be a crazy full stadium. Uh, they survive the the, the bombonera hell and I, I think the first 15 to 20 minutes are going to be key for River because they're going to start a bit nervous if nervous you think I think so because all as I said all the pressure is on their side they're playing at home they need to make it so let's see if they cope well with the first 15 20 minutes uh, they might they might take it and so that's where you see the game kind of being won and lost the ability to cope with yeah. what will be a crazy atmosphere it's going to be all about the nerves okay very good Ignacio Skoko Skoko I was going to pronounce Skoko yeah so. Skoko is out oh he's out he's out oh, big, big blow it's a, yeah it is a bit of a blow um, in this um, moment for, for, for River but they have a lot of options, and in the beginning of the season, he wasn't playing that much, and they were they were doing quite well. So um, Skoko doesn't play, uh, but River still has, they have a lot of options, okay. a lot of quality. Anything else we need to know? Uh, I I know that you want to play. You want to talk about uh, uh, Palacios, Ezequiel Palacios. I did want to talk about Palacios. Yeah, yeah, he's been linked with Real Madrid. It's it's really weird because um, maybe three weeks ago, one week before the the first lag, um, everyone was saying that the deal is done. Ezequiel Palacio is going to to Real Madrid, and um, the the River board said no, it's not done. We didn't get any uh, offer from them, so just this is just fake news. Um, he he had a good game against Boca, and after. Uh, the game, like a couple of days later, there was some people saying that, okay, the deal is done, now it's done, now we can say it. And again, River said, the deal is not done, we didn't get any offer from, from Real Madrid. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure if the deal is done or not, but I can tell you that Ezequiel Palacios is very, very good. He's okay. still quite young, uh, but is the, the type of midfield that I, I really enjoy watching. He knows how to treat the ball, uh, amazing passing skills, uh, very good on transitions, um, and very, very quick. Also, um, his shots are super good, like uh, long-range shots. Okay. So the thing is, is really young is a bit, um, I would say, wild in some moments of the game, 
But if you have a good manager, a good coach, and you can dominate the Mustang, uh, it's going to do pretty well in Europe. Knows how to treat the ball. That's a lovely yeah, turn of phrase, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. That's, okay. I, I just translated directly from Portuguese. <laughs> mm, no, do it. Do it. Portuguese has got a number of very good footballing uh, <laughs> phrases. Uh, we got to go back to international football for a second. For I forgot another question. So we got an email that says, Hi, I'm from Norway and I support Liverpool. And I'm just wondering what are your thoughts on Norway winning the Nations League group? <laughs> Which, Alex, uh, you well done, Norway. Well done. Okay, very that. good. Yeah. Uh, this email also has a, it says a fun challenge for us. The challenge is to say the person's name correctly. So the name is, and I'll just spell it. All right. right. So it's A with a nice circle on top. Yeah. N-E. A-N-E. I'm going to say... Una. They give a tip. The A is pronounced like the O ooh, in Una. horse. Una. Like Una. Una. Una? Is it a listener? Or is it a, a You're the closest to uh, Scandinavia. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you the challenge then. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I go with Una. Uh, like You're the, going with Una? I like the approach. Una. Okay. Una Madral. Thanks for getting in touch. Loves the podcast and gets a smiley face and an emo- a thumbs up emoji. Wow. Can't really ask for more than that. <laughs> Can we really? So the big games do not stop at the Super Classico. There's also a London Derby. Huh? Yes. To get us going weak at the knees. Saturday night, Chelsea Spurs. Does anybody know what's happening with the Spurs Stadium? Um, I don't even know if Spurs know what's happening with the okay. Spurs Stadium at the moment. But yeah. as far as I'm aware from what I've seen, it's, um, it's finished. It's nearly finished. They're aiming for the God. first week in January. It's like war and peace. Um, the first, yeah, yeah, every like every week, uh, we, like, yeah, it's almost yeah. there. Almost the fir- there. The first mm. game they're looking at is Man United at home on January the thirteenth. So Ooh. that's the latest. And I've since they did like a test event for fans oh, yeah. at the stadium. Some of the videos look insanely good. They, I mean, it looks amazing. It really, really does okay. look like it would be the best stadium in the Premier League. As an aside, if you're a Spurs fan, Dimitar Bervatop's Instagram account, you need to follow it. Yes. He does commentary on he does commentary on his Spurs goals, and it's fantastic. In general, everybody should follow Dimitar Bervatop. <laughs> He's one of my absolute all-time favourite players. I mm-hmm. love Bervatop. We did a piece during the week on the best, our 12 of the best ever first touches. Yeah, Bebo is right in there. Oh, all, all 12, I think. All 12, it could be. Anyway, we did, we that did 15 added... in, a, in a Portuguese desk. We added another three. <laughs> Portuguese players? Uh, one Brazilian and one Portuguese, and, uh, and Tati, also Francesco Tati. Well, Tati Z- was not there. Zidane is actually the master of it all. Mm. But anyway, uh, with that out of the way, where do we stand on Spurs this season, Alex? Um, Pochettino. Nine wins, 27 points, fourth in the table, but almost out of the Champions League. I think we are continually underestimating the job that Pochettino is doing well that's interesting Um, I think for me after Guardiola he's the best manager in the league Um, to not sign any players to have nine of his squad in the World Cup semi-finals or later this summer and then to make the club's best ever start I think is just incredible Um, and there's a reason that every top club wants him as their manager Um, he's an amazing tactician he's obviously good with the players and Probably more importantly, in modern football, he's a very good politician as well. He knows mm. how to sort of speak to the press, speak to his chairman. Um, yeah, and I just think he's working miracles, to be honest. And right. whoever replaces him is going to have a very difficult job. Nico, you're German. Yeah. Uh, which makes me think of Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. 
But Alex reckons Pochettino is the second best manager in the Premier League. Oh, he's wrong. But okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. Just look at the table. <laughs> I got to give you that the Pochettino is a great manager. Um, I'm sitting right next to Matt, a host of the English YouTube channel, who's a big Spurs fan. So he basically tells me every day how great Pochettino is. So mm -hmm. at this at this point, I bought it. I believe him. Um, and I'm not the biggest Jurgen Klopp fan, so yeah, why not? Oh, okay. There oh. you go. Oh, there. Yeah. Take that. That was simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite simple. Uh, Berbatov, again, beautiful nice. Berbatov. Yeah. He was speaking during the week and he said, it might be harsh, but it's the truth. Uh, he was speaking about Harry Winks. He said he might need to leave Tottenham if he wants to win a trophy. Yeah. You think it's going to come down to that, that the players are going to have to leave? I think... Spurs are in a bit of a vicious cycle at the moment because obviously they need the money that comes with finishing in the Champions League but I think for the club and for the players themselves they might actually be better just not obviously focusing on the league but focusing more on the FA Cup and maybe winning the Europa League if they don't qualify from the Champions League I think it's yeah it's a difficult one for them I can see players like Winks and like Kane who came up through the system I can see them staying at Spurs for their entire career But someone like Ericsson, mm -hmm. maybe even Deli Ali, Kieran Trippier, people like that, maybe I can see a time comes where maybe next they if they've done a season in the new stadium, maybe then they look to move. So okay. yeah. Sorry Spurs fans. Sorry, Spurs fans. Mm. It's just a general question for, for all of you. Is it fair to judge a manager on trophies or should we be looking up should we be looking to have more managers like Pochettino, managers who stay and build and want to invest in the future of the club? Yeah, I always uh, trophies are just one side of the coin. Yeah, uh, only, but, but they're important. Is way more, is there's only way four more trophies ahead. available every season, yeah. and there's, yeah. so there's only so many clubs and that can win. And them. in the top leagues, uh, basically, these trophies are already like, designated to like four or five clubs in the Bundesliga. And what so. what, <laughs> what chairman and owners of clubs look for is, and when they're looking for a new manager, is where the players get better under those yeah. managers that's the real that's mark. the secret because yeah. 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 you know you can buy you can have all the money in the world and you can buy whoever you want but are the players getting any better It's and I think that's why Pochettino is doing such a good job because he's turned Harry Kane into the, probably one of I the best totally strikers agree. in the world Christian Eriksen's become one of the best um, tacky midfielders in the world Yeah, and that's yeah. I think that's how you really judge how good a manager is. Because it's the difference between, say, a Jose Mourinho, yes. who you hire for trophies, yes, and uh, who's got better at Man United under Mourinho? No one. Mm -mm. You can, I don't think you can name one player who's got better. Maybe. Oh, I'm thinking about that now. It's uh... De Gea, maybe. <laughs> no, he's got worse. <laughs> in the last, in the last. Oh, but I mean. Scott McTonamy? But he got better at the beginning, <laughs> and then, then he got worse. That's why I, that's, that's why I think no, this, this Man United... United that's why United, Man United won't punch team. This spell at Man United is a very particular thing for Mourinho. It's, uh, it's a bit of a, a pickle for both. Uh, I don't think Man United like Mourinho. I don't think Mourinho like Man United anymore. So it's, um, they, it, it's like in a, a bad relationship. They're toxic mm. to each other. Just, just yeah. go away. I was thinking of that. I was thinking of a clothing analogy, like you, so you know, you buy an expensive coat, you go home, you don't find it fits very well, but you're sort of embarrassed to go back to the shop because you've spent so much yeah, money on it. Yeah, that's such a good That's how I see it. Uh, as for Chelsea, one place above Spurs in the league, you've been impressed with them so far this yeah, season? Yeah, I, th I think on our pre-season part, I said I thought Chelsea might struggle with Sarri until Christmas just to get used to, uh, used to them. Yeah, mm. Sarri ball, but I think that shows how little I know to be perfectly honest because they've been amazing <laughs> okay. um, although we were chatting before before we were on air and um, the, all the stats say that Chelsea are actually overperforming 
and what they should be in terms of like XG mm. and all that sort of stuff. So I I don't know, maybe they will, they will sort of regress to the mean eventually. But for the moment, yeah, the work that Sarri's doing is absolutely amazing. And again, making players better. Look at how much Hazard has come on in the past four months. He's taken his game to a completely new level. And that's down to Sarri and the way he plays and you know what he's doing on with him every day on the training pitch. David Luiz he was praising the other day. Yeah, and yeah, David Luiz has got much better under him. Uh, Kante well, a different position but he's mm-hmm. still playing really well even Morata looks a lot better than he did last season well I don't know if you saw that miss <laughs> <laughs> but he's making runs and he's it's a, it's a player ups and downs so yeah. I think that the mental uh, part plays a very important role on uh, yeah. Morata's performance it's been like this since you know yeah. years and years uh, he's got to be happy outside the pitch to be happy yeah. on the pitch and yeah, Sarri looks like the sort of manager that you'd want to play for as well he, yeah he, He's a real like players manager, I think. So it's a crazy dude. You yeah. like to, everyone likes to play. And, and for whenever a crazy dude. I've sort of read interviews with him, he did a big one with Gazetta della Sport a few weeks ago, and he just it sounds like he really loves being in the Premier League, and he mm. sort of he feels like this is the pinnacle of his career because he's you know he used to be a banker, he's gone through Serie G, you know, all the way up. Twenty years later, he's at the Premier League, and he feels like he's made it and he's making the most of it. Which, if you're a player, must be great to come into work every day. And, your bosses I think like that brings so. a sense of perspective to it yeah well. exactly okay. with, with, the squad, with the squads that all teams have right now I would say that only City and uh, Liverpool are able to fight for the title yeah but I'm really curious to see uh, what Saad is going to do in January because mm. with a couple of tweaks in um in, the, in that squad yeah, Chelsea well, can really step up because uh, Napoli still. just played the same 11 basically the whole yeah. season and they really struggled towards the end so be, yeah like you say if they do add a few more players in January what do you like, think who, who do they need well, what do they need they, they probably don't really need anyone that's the thing well, they, need, they, need, a, they need to rotate because if, if they do the, go far the in the Europa League then you know you're playing Thursday Sunday and in the Premier mm-hmm. League that is difficult um, you, they need a better striker Morata's not good enough yeah yeah but who are you getting at they yeah, have, but that's have, that's the problem, and that's on. the problem with a lot of top clubs. If you have a, if you have like a striker who is, I don't know, say Morata is their number one, then they need a backup. But who can they get that will happily be a backup, but is also good enough? Batshuayi. Yeah, well, they had Batshuayi. Yeah. yeah, to recall him, that's probably a good chance. Okay, uh, how do you see it panning out? Prediction? Um, I think it's Spurs probably at home. a draw. It's well, the last six games have been two wins, two draws, two losses. So I think probably a draw, one each, I reckon. Now, final part of the podcast, we're going to do something different. We're going back to South America, to Brazil, and the Brasileiro. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, okay. One of the more more exciting leagues around these days, isn't it, the old Brasileiro? Uh, Always been. It's uh, it's always a beautiful mess. The, the <laughs> yeah. City, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is, and I'm saying this in in a in a good way because uh, it's really hard to pick a, a winner or even to pick. Usually, it's a two, team that's top three at the end teams of to fight for the title. In the beginning, you know, there is this idea in Brazil that the twelve big clubs are always fighting for the title, no matter what, which is not exactly true because uh, some of the big teams are not that big anymore. Um, particularly when it comes to money, um, but the the big four of São Paulo are historically c- contenders. Uh, in Rio, Flamengo is always there, um, and then you have uh, Inter, Grêmio, in uh, Rio Grande do Sul, and uh, both clubs from Minas 
uh, Cruzeiro and Atlético, they they always uh, they are always contenders to to win the the title. Uh, this season it looks like it's going to be Palmeiras winning mm. the, the the trophy. They just need one more win to take the league. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. They're really really close to clinch the title. Um, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> Some people didn't see this coming at the, beginning, at the beginning of the season. Of course, all the Palmeiras fans probably saw that coming. Um, but it was it was not an easy uh, season for Palmeiras. But in the end, um, they're gonna they're gonna win and, and they deserve it. It's they've been unbeaten for 19 games in a row, which is absolutely insane. It's a, a record in first division in Brazil. Um, and they have an interesting manager. You know who it is. Big Phil. Big, big Phil. Phil. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Big Phil's back. back in the game. Yeah. Another another amazing comeback from Scolari. Everyone uh, thinks he's dead, but he's not. He's just like, he's like a footballing cockroach. Yeah. And, uh, Is he 70? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Is that a grandpa Scolari is going mm. to win the title against all odds. Amazing that somebody who, not to disrespect his age, but somebody that can speak to like a young player and still get them to play that way and talk to them and connect because they have to connect obviously on a psychological level as a manager yeah, but and then still get them motivated and get them to the top of the league it, it, Scolari is more of a, it's motiva- old school motivator it's, it's about uh, gathering the me. troops going to war and it's um, and it's just that it's not about it, it was never about uh, fantastic tactics and okay. like <laughs> the okay. ideas about oh beautiful football should be mm-hmm. he says uh, that is uh, is all about the result and okay. when uh, when he, he took over Palmeiras it was a bit of a, a problematic moment and he said I'm here to win games don't expect the beautiful football every once in a while with the quality that he has in in the squad you do see some beautiful uh, football from Palmeiras but it's not their trademark not okay. at all so he's coaching him for the third time He's over 70 years old and he's going to win the title. It sounds yeah. a lot like Yupanka said, Bayern. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little, right? Yeah, um, aesthetically, I would say that Yupanka has tried to play better <laughs> football. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, Nico, would you like to guess how many managers have been sacked in the Brazilian league this season? To be very honest, I don't even really know how the Brazilian league works because I remember very early. Did, did it change the system? Was it like a group system at, this, at a point or something like that? There was, yeah, it was a group and then a playoff and then the title. Mm. But, they but, but yeah, it's all back to normal. A long time ago, they, okay. they changed it. In the middle of 2000s, now it's like a normal league. Because I remember playing a Brazilian team at Football Manager in 03 or 04 and I just wasn't able to figure mm-hmm. out how this thing works. Okay. So, there's yeah, also, you're, there's, so you're overthinking this, basically. It, uh, Give me a number. Yeah. Is it zero managers? Is that, is no. that where we're going? No, I'm going like with zero. Yeah. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> so what do we have? 18, 19, 20 teams? 20 teams. 20 teams. So yeah. let's go with this. Go double digits. Let's say 11. Oh, you're so kind. You're not even close. Not even close. Not even close. How many is it? If you double that, you're not close. What? <laughs> 28? 28. 28. 28 What, changes. the top division? Top yeah. division. What? Only, only, only three clubs uh, are... Uh, they have the same manager that started the season. <laughs> and it's, uh, let's see if I can remember all. Um, Manu Menezes with Cruzeiro, 
Other Years with Inter. Inter, Inter I yeah. that one. And uh, what is the other one? Scolari. Gremio. Oh, all right. No, Scolari uh, took, 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 took over in the middle of the season. Uh, wow. the Gremio with uh, Renato Gaúcho, who won the Libertadores last season. Right. Amazing. And he, he won everything with Gremio so far, except the first division except in Brazil. The first division. <laughs> you mentioned wow. Internacional. Inter, yeah. Inter. Let's have a word about them, because they a bit like Big Phil. They've had a bit of a rebirth. Uh, absolutely. You know that in Brazil, every once in a while, one of the big clubs, uh, they just have a terrible season and they get relegated. Like to, Vasco. Yeah, it happens. It has been happening for years and years in, a, in, a, in the last 10, 12 years. It's, it's normal. And that happened with Inter two years ago. Um, they had a terrible season. They went to the second division and they needed to start from, from scratch and they did it quite well. Uh, they were promoted to the first division and uh, they were fighting for the title until yesterday because um, yesterday they lost against Atletico Mineiro. <sighs> so they're officially out of, uh, of the race. But what they did with uh, Odair is absolutely fantastic. They came from, from the second division. They've been doing an incredible season. And we're now three games away from the end of the season. And, and they were uh, fighting for the title almost until the end. It's, it's amazing. Speaking of teams going the wrong way, it's Vasco, isn't it, this season? Oh, Vasco. <laughs> mm. uh, you can imagine uh, the amount of um, uh, amazing trolling internet that's happening in Brazil right now. Um, from uh, Botafogo, Flamengo and Fluminense, the, the other three big clubs in Rio these days. Um, Naturally, they don't like Vasco because, you know, they hate each other. It's, it's Makes sense. It's a common practice. Mm -hmm. um, and Vasco are seriously in danger of being relegated. Um, it's not new for them in, uh, in this uh, modern age of Brazilian football. Uh, but uh, it's going to be dramatic. They play São Paulo. At home. What on the final day of the season? No, oh. there are still some 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 games to play. There, I think there are thirty nine points, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have a, a table in front of me. You should look at that one they football app. Thirty nine points. Thirty nine points. Yeah, and they have. Uh, that some, off the top of your head, yeah. did you? Yeah. And they have some some teams uh, behind them still. Um, but the their last three games are really 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 okay. tough. And if they if they win tonight against São Paulo at home, I would say that they're pretty much they're going to make a great escape. Okay. Uh, if they don't, they're going to be in seriously seriously in trouble. And the next game is against Palmeiras. Ooh. I think if you have to say, okay. but you have the you if have, you have a great app with you. You can check that on. <laughs> What's the name of that app again? But they do have Palmeiras on Sunday. Exactly. As a committed Fluminense fan, I will be delighted if they go to down. see Vasco going down. Yeah. Well, my Portuguese heritage uh, says uh, that Vasco should stay in, in oh, the first okay. division because they were founded by Portuguese. Oh, right. In, uh, in well, I mean, I say I'm committed to Fluminense. I've based my choice on their jersey. So. <laughs> it was really deep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not as committed as it probably could be. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Nico, Alex and Andre and thanks to you for listening. Remember, if you want to get your questions over and any sort of Norwegian pronunciation questions we'll be delighted to take, the address to do so is podcast.onefootball.com. 